Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 136, December of 2020. A year for the record books in so many respects. Our guest this month is Chanel Bragg, who was recently named Associate Artistic Director at Arizona Theater Company. Ms. Bragg is a producer, director, teaching artist, and performer whose mission is to open doors and shatter stereotypes for black, indigenous, and people of color and women in Arizona. She was recently appointed as the first black artistic associate director of the Arizona Theater Company. She was also kind enough to give us a few moments of her time, and we had a lot to talk about. How long have you been associated with Arizona Theater, and when exactly were you appointed associate artistic director? So I have been associated with the theater for the last two years. My very first production as an actress was playing Alma Hicks in their production of The Music Man. Mm -hmm. And then I was also a part of Cabaret. And um, that was just this year as well. And I played Frenchie in Cabaret. Um, And I was like really, really excited and enthralled when I got the call to be the Associate Artistic Director back in June, and my official start date was July 7th. So based on two acting performances, they made you Associate Artistic Director. <laughs> you know what? They, they saw administrative <laughs> quality in me, and, uh, you know, I'm joking. You know, it's funny. I have been working in my community for a very long time, um, and so being a, a local girl native to Arizona, uh, with deep roots within the theater community. Um, I have founded like several groups um, to really help make the equitable, make the theater landscape more equitable here in Arizona. And so I think that uh, Sean happened to notice my other endeavors outside of me being, uh, of course, an actress. And um, I can delve into some of those uh, just to give context. So back in 2009, um, I co-founded a group called the Solar Broadway Cabaret Troupe, in right. which we were created solely because at the time there wasn't a lot of theaters doing work um, with diverse people, like at all. Like there, mm-hmm. it was, it, they were trying to put up your, you know, typical ragtime or hairspray, but for whatever reason, they were not feeling uh, that they could cast those shows. So they would often either cancel them altogether, nor try to reach out into the community to see what actors or actresses were available that were BIPOC. Right. And so I got frustrated because I was like, we're here. <laughs> I promise you we're here and we want to work. And so we created the Solar Broadway as a vehicle to allow us to go to different theaters and appeal to them. So our model was for us to say, hey, you're dark on these nights, according to your calendar that we see online. And we would love to provide um, a cabaret for your audiences, highlighting the work of BIPOC artists that are not often produced. And so we will we want to increase the demographic of people that now come to your theater that maybe you haven't had a reach with before. And it would give us an opportunity to perform work that we don't get a chance to perform because none of the theaters in Arizona are doing the work with us in it. Right. How long ago did this start? That was 2009. Okay. So, yeah, so it's our 10-year anniversary, actually. Wow. On uh, Juneteenth this year was our 10-year anniversary. That's wonderful. Congratulations. 
Thank you. And we had a great success. A lot of different theaters jumped on and were like, you know what, we want to be a part of this. Can you come perform at our theater? So we had the Solo Broadway Act 1, Solo Broadway Act 2, which is their second show. We mm -hmm. did also launch a Christmas show and we had a Motown show as well. And so what we set out to do worked. We ended up having tons and tons of different theaters reaching out to me personally. I hear you have this rolling cabaret troupe. And what I would do is it was seven members per cycle, but we would like re-audition and bring more people in. So if I were to say a total cast would probably be about 21 individuals that we have rotated in and out over the years. And it gave the theater community like actual, um, access to us in a way that they didn't have before and so thus what we set out actually was accomplished then we were booked <laughs> like completely booked yeah so even solo broadway like i could only manage producing maybe a show a year um, once it got popular because then all the theaters were like well then hey let's do you know, again, Harrisbury, or let's do Memphis, or let's do yep. these other shows that they didn't think they could do before. Like uh, one of our theaters um, in Scottsdale, which is not a highly populated area for diverse people, and we were able to produce an basically all-Black production, essentially, of Dream Girls out there. So it, it was a lot and, from, and, and literally, a lot of the leads were handpicked from Sola Broadway, of course, through the audition process. But they wouldn't have ever taken the risk to even think about putting their money, yeah. you know what I mean, and their programming behind a show that other theaters were terrified to do because they didn't know if the representation was there. So exactly. I'm great, right. So I'm very grateful to the Sola Broadway kind of being my first step into this EDI work. Um, but then I found that uh, the scope of my assistance, because the solo Broadway was predominantly African-American. And right. so I was like, okay. And then I had a girlfriend of mine who was Latinx, who was like, you do great advocacy work for your community, but what about doing it for my community too? And, you know, there was a real, you know, gut check, because I think sometimes we don't recognize that we should be doing more. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, of course, like it's in alignment with who I am uh, and a part of my core value system. And so I apologized to her and I said, you know, I've been so focused on Solo Broadway over the last at that point. Um, it was uh, what, five years. And so I was like, well, let me go ahead and let me revamp and get together um, something that kind of celebrates us all. So I created, um, after that conversation, United Colors of Arizona Theater. And that is now a safe space for all BIPOC individuals. And we started at that in 2016. Um, and then from then on, we have now went from I think maybe 20 or so members when we first started and we now have over 400 members. That's amazing. 
But That's I'm so wonderful. Yeah. Well, and I'm grateful considering, you know, in the local theater community, like I said, you know, they often, a lot of the theaters here, be it professional and or community theater, were like, there just isn't anyone available. So we can't do the work of, you know, diverse works because there's nowhere, no one here. And I was like, I'll prove to you there is. And, and by the very creation of United Colors of Arizona Theater and its success, we've been able to, to prove just that. Um, we do have a sister subsidiary group that we have also called Friends of UCAT. Um, mm -hmm. So that is for any of our um, uh, friends that are not BIPOC that would love to contribute to our group or be a part of networking or provide audition posting or in just general support. Then we do have the Friends of UCAT group established just for that. Uh, now we have a public facing page as well on Facebook that we just started actually during COVID um, as we do aspire to eventually have our own theater. That's amazing. That's you've, you've learned the one lesson in theater that I think most people do need to learn. And that is don't wait for somebody to offer you a chance. If there's something that needs to be done or something that needs, you think needs to be present in the forum, go create it yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm so fortunate to, though, like, I'm not going to say that I've done it alone because I most certainly haven't. Um, the Phoenix Theater Company um, is a, a one of the equity houses here in town, um, did really right by us by providing us a uh, Robbie Harper, who's their associate artistic director. Um, I came to him and told him what we were doing and that I wanted to create uh, our very first event, which was a workshop audition prep. And I was like, I just need a place to hold it because I don't have a building. And he said, don't worry, we got you. And he and um, Phoenix Theater has been hosting predominantly all of our gatherings ever since Not and never asked for a dime, which is fantastic. Wow. You know, it's nice for your community to lend its support back to you. And, and again, UCAT, we are our own entity. We do not belong to the Phoenix Theater Company. Um, so it was great that they were willing to give their support regardless of the they're not technically being affiliated, which I thought was wonderful. And then that also sparked the model of then how do we have United Colors of Arizona Theater truly be a theater for the community and of the community. And so um, Arizona Theater Company, this is before I was hired, um, their community engagement manager reached out to me and said, can I get you coffee? Can we talk? I said, yes. And he's like, I've heard about this group that you run. And I was like, yes. And he's like, how can Arizona Theater Company be of support? And that was um, last year. And I said, well, I said, a lot of uh, marginalized communities do not have access um, access in general to a lot of these professional theaters because the ticket prices are astronomical. I said, and if you give an opportunity for us to see the shows, then I'll be more than happy um, to give back also like via talk back or whatnot. And so we created the Celebrating Diversity Discussion Series. And based on that, we took different um, uh, themes that were surrounded around certain shows and then we curated a talk back around that and so i'm fortunate um that with that uh, uh, partnership with arizona theater company we were then able to provide free tickets to members of united clubs of arizona theater to also see incredible work with arizona theater company and we were able to lead important discussions um for cabaret we did uh 
we called it stripped and we broke it down into understanding uh, what the BIPOC representation was during the Hitler area era. And we talked about that. And wow. so it was like different shows. So, so even if it's a show that doesn't necessarily have those themes you would think in it, there's always a tie. There's always a connection. Um, and we've been fortunate to have led uh, quite a few talkbacks actually for Arizona theater company now. And so I'm grateful again, before I was actually even affiliated with this institution that just based off the work that I've been doing in the community, that they were willing to step up and then provide access, which again is extremely important. That's incredible. And, and I, I want to go back and touch on something you, you mentioned earlier, which was theaters taking a chance on new audiences or audiences that they're not sure will respond if they present material and plays that speak to them especially. I know I know from experience and I know from uh, talking to other theater people that theaters, A, first of all, live on a shoestring. They right. Always, they always live on a shoestring. And, well, and COVID is definitely uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. showcasing that more than ever. Who is in your community and getting them the news and getting them the visual representation and the representation of their stories instead of the usual, you know, for many years, it's been so homogenous. Right. Um, always takes a chance. And it's a frightening thing to open up the theater and wonder if there are going to be anybody in the seats. Exactly. I completely understand. Um, but that's how I think that you ensure the sustainability of a theater is understanding exactly. that if you do not connect with the communities that surround your theater, then you will not be successful. I mean, we our proximity to the border, honestly, is what, two hours away? We should absolutely be doing work that highlight the Latinx struggle, for sure. You know, there's a lot of different social issues that are here in Arizona that need to be highlighted. I, I truly feel like it is our job as art makers for us to be able to create empathy. Mm -hmm. And the way that we invoke that is by putting stories on stage. So for two hours, people have to literally sit in someone else's shoes or view something from a different perspective. And that is how we truly grow. I believe the theater is one of the few medium left that have the right and the duty to challenge the status quo, to bring yeah. other people's stories into your world, to develop empathy, to encourage understanding. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about your new appointment and associate artistic director of Arizona theater is a great position and i'm not even sure what that entails because all theaters <laughs> are different all right yes. and obviously you're a powerhouse in, in, <laughs> in your arena out there and they were very smart to take you on Thank um, you. to ask to ask you to fill this position so i it's i've got like three different ways that i want to go with this question so i'm going to start <laughs> with what are your basic duties first of all what does it mean to be the first black artistic associate director? Okay. And what does it mean to be the first black artistic associate director who has to deal with COVID? <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> 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 
Okay, well, I'll, I'll take the first one. So what are my duties? Yeah. Literally everything. And I know that sounds kind of like very open-ended, but it is so true. It's interesting because I have been a professional actress for many, many years. And so I have had the opportunity to be somewhat on the admin side when I do my own producing, for sure. Um, in, the, in the past, like I said, I talked about like Solo Broadway, founding United Colors of Arizona Theater. Um, and then I had a traveling Hamilton tribute band for a while um, in which we were we were paired with Live Nation and we did a tour up the California coast last summer. And we were hoping to potentially launch some sort of tour this spring, but of course, COVID. Um, so with that experience, right, like like <laughs> that grassroots on the ground, rolling up your sleeves, trying to figure it out by yourself, <laughs> that has been my experience. I've definitely failed forward often, um, but it, it was I had a small glimpse into what admin might look like. And then, of course, with the different theaters that I've worked with over the years, you know, you pay attention to whose duties are what. And I was like, you know, I do think that I absolutely want to be an associate artistic director at some point. And then, of course, then an artistic director after that. And I put it on my vision board and I was like, okay, I'm going to aspire to do this thing. But then based off of the examples that I saw ahead of me, it already had me mentally making like, what is my toolkit that I need to have to be prepared for this appointment? But I obviously thought I'd have more time <laughs> to put my tools in that box. And so anyway, it's a long answer, but I'm getting there. So based off of watching different associate artistic directors throughout the years, I have compiled an understanding of what I thought that job was. And you also have to understand there's not like a degree program for this. Like you can go get your MFA for sure in directing and there are certain degrees that can be parallel or synonymous. I got my master's degree predominantly in leadership and innovative leadership specifically because I was like, I, I want to parlay this uh, into a leadership position in the arts of some kind, right? So I was like, and then and I wanted to do an offshoot of nonprofit management as well, um, but my school that I went to didn't have that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with innovative leadership with combined with my 20 plus years in the industry. I'm going to make it work for me, right? So yeah. I was squirreling away, uh, and then of course directing and producing. So I was squirreling away up, uh, uh opportunities that I've had or um, on-the-job training, uh, observations that I've seen. And so I'm laughing because, back to the question, my duties, mm -hmm. I feel like they are evolving every day, and I'm not doing a lot of the things that I've seen a lot of other associate artist directors do. And it might be because we're in the land of COVID. I, I feel yeah. like my job is so much more than artistic at this point. So typically, yes, your your my job would centric, centrally be within uh, the artistic realm. Um, and of course, my partner is the artist director, Sean Daniels. But I am finding that like this is requiring more skills of myself that maybe I didn't even know I had. So I now feel like I'm a part of marketing. I now feel like I'm a part of development. <laughs> like yep. It's just crazy how my breadth of knowledge has expanded in just three months to cover so many different areas of my organization. And so, yes, my duties are artistic. My duties are to help with casting. My duties are to read work and hope that we can find different things we 
want to push forward. Um, we have a digital prod podcast that we do live on Facebook at four o'clock called Hang and Focus. We also then extract the audio and, pre and present a podcast that we release on Anchor. So I do, I am the main executive producer of that initiative. Um, so that's also my duties and responsibilities. But again, I feel like I just do a lot. I feel like traffic cop. Like yeah. oftentimes yeah. I'm helping one department speak to the other. Um, I have inserted myself well into many spaces within my organization in such a short time. And I actually love that. I was in a meeting with Hana Sharif, who um, is an amazing artistic director. And one of when she was telling her story of how she first got started and how she was so happy to be under um, the leadership of her artistic director that gave her a shot and how Hers, her path looked different because he allowed her to be in different pots everywhere and that that's why she felt so well-rounded. And as she was giving her story, I was like, oh my God, that's me. I'm literally doing those things, which makes me even more grateful that not only I have this appointment, but I have this appointment at an organization that wants me to learn, that supports my endeavors and with a partner that literally like cheers me on as much as he does, you know, everything else. So I'm very grateful. I think you just won the jackpot, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I, I definitely did. Like, it is not lost on me uh, that this organization was the one I was supposed to work for. Yeah. And no, I already got the job, so I don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to brown nose, but. But no, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so absolutely grateful for this appointment, this opportunity for, uh, you know, the executive team's faith in me, for the board's faith in me and mm -hmm. what I can do being, you know, a local girl here with a lot of chutzpah. Well, I think your track record speaks for itself, at least the, the, the brief bit that we've covered. It's it's already impressive. And, you know, and any board would certainly be most interested in, in at least taking a very good long look at you. Um, and I know this is going to sound a little bit like a job interview, and I apologize for this, <laughs> but um, speaking of outreach and speaking of growing your audience and speaking about diversity, what kind of shows or projects or programs is what I actually mean, do you see yourself employing over the next few years to a keep theater going which is always uh, you know theater's dying it's not going to be here in 12 years you know and, and that sort of thing um but how do you see it engaging with the whole community so i think that that is vital number one that we must understand you cannot have a successful theater nor will it grow Again, like I said before, as aforementioned, right. if you do not include the community that surrounds you. What theaters have to understand is you must normalize telling the stories of black and brown bodies. Honestly, we need to see ourselves reflected on that stage. Yes. It, when we don't do that, we lose sight of our human connection. We lose sight of having the ability to hear another perspective. And that's when we as a nation are lost, especially right now with the amount of division that is in our country, right? In this very moment, we are like evenly split. And this is why empathy carried through storytelling 
-hmm. has never been more important than ever. And so the type of work that I hope to do is work that reflects us all. And also not just, you know, race specific. I'm also talking um, understanding gender fluidity, understanding, um, you know, that there is representation across all types, including, you know, body type. I, I feel like there's so many stories left to be shown that, we could seriously retire our 29,000 production of Oklahoma because there, or if, you know, I won't even say that because if you want to do Oklahoma, then okay, but then do it with a fresh perspective. I was so grateful that a theater in Oregon did an all black production of Oklahoma um, some years back because my friend Greg was in it. And I was like, that makes absolute sense. Sure. Back back in the day, Oklahoma was supposed to be the mecca for for you know black settlers until it was burned to the ground. Right. And so having an all black version of Oklahoma actually makes sense, especially for that time period that it's reflected. So that's that's what it is. It's being conscious about our choices, being um, obviously color conscious in our casting choices, and doing work that reflects us all. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, with with that program in mind, with that goal in mind, theater could last forever. <laughs> Absolutely, and people need to understand that. How else do you learn? I, I I give this example, which cracks me up, but like I mean it when I say it. Going to the theater is so much less expensive than paying for a twenty five hundred dollar plane ticket to another country, yeah. because I feel like any time that I've ever traveled. I've allowed myself to truly gain a new perspective to see how another sect of the world lives. It literally increases and expands my empathy. When I go to Italy and I see how they live, or I go to Paris and I see how they live. Right. And so here for $35 to $120, depending on your tier of your seat, whatever theater that you are, then you have an opportunity to travel. And learn mm-hmm. someone's perspective. It's a heck of a lot cheaper than playing ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of uh, when I when I lived in Ithaca, New York, uh, one of our local theaters, uh, the Kitchen, which was outstanding when it came to presenting diverse plays, um, had a presentation of Yellow Man, oh, which okay. is an extremely powerful play. And I noted that the audience was pretty much homogenous, uh, generally over 50. And when the show was over, boy, were they talking. Oh, my my gosh. Asking questions of each other. And some of them looked confused and some of them looked completely (laughs) shell-shocked. But they they were talking about it. And it wasn't a question of, you know, well, you know, I can't wait till Oklahoma comes back. But it was... There, there were looks on their faces and there was curiosity in their minds and there was a space that they were all now exploring, only just for the fact that they were, they were in front of this perspective. Right. That they Absolutely. had not been a part of before. And they welcomed it. It was, they were, they were actually eager. What are, what are you going to put up more stuff like this? Right. No, and it's funny. So actually, really small fact, right out of high school, I got accepted to Ithaca University. Oh, did you? But I Wonderful. did not. I did not go. I decided to stay closer home. Um, yeah. But every now and again, when I hear about the amazing work that is done, 
Mm -hmm. out, out that way. I'm like, oh, darn, maybe maybe that was my path. But no, I do feel like all of our paths lead us to where we're supposed to be. And I obviously wouldn't be where I am now had mm -hmm. I chosen that path. So. No, it sounds like you made the right choice. I mean, Ithaca was a wonderful place for theater. We we were gluttons for theater. You could you couldn't possibly get enough. Every time somebody put up a new <laughs> theater company, the house was filled. It was like, what's wrong with these people? Oh my gosh, I, that's amazing. I loved it. Let's talk about COVID a little bit because, you know, getting this position is a wonderful thing, and of course, it's going to stretch you as a as a person, as a theater artist in the best of times. Okay, I mean, if you've got a board that knows how to go out and fundraise, that's I mean, that's a, a great gift. Nobody realizes yes. how what kind of a gift that is. It is. And uh, it's hard. It's, it's really uh, hard, especially right now with so many people laid off. Like it yeah. is not lost on us um, just how difficult it is for everyone at this time. You know, Sean shares a statistic often. And every time he says it, it, it hits me in the chest that 40 percent of non for profit institutions will not survive. Right. And, and literally, the only way the arts is going to survive is through people that are contributing to our institution. Yeah, and it has to adapt, and it has to be able to evolve. And I think that's the situation we are faced with now, because up until now, it's been needle thrust to proscenium with a whole bunch of seats and everybody arguing for the armrest. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But now, the theaters are closed. Absolutely. And how do you adapt? And Zoom has become, you know, it's everybody's like, it's not perfect, but we can still do theater. So we're remaking the experience. And A, everybody wants to know when the theaters are going to open back up and in how are they going to open back up? Because we are now faced with the future of theater. It's in our faces. Right. You know, so how are you guys going to adapt to this and how are you going to keep this thing going. We do not take the challenge lightly. <laughs> I will say that. I think that um, immediately, and, and before I even got here, um, I do believe that the organization took a quick look and understood, okay, so it's time to pivot. And it's interesting because even with planning, which of course, you know, succession uh, being su succeeding is make sure you have a, a good plan in place. Um, we have a calendar called prepared and I promise you we are now on version G from A to G at this point, mm -hmm. because yeah. every opportunity sure. when there has been a shift, be it like a spike in numbers or, you know, needing to move stuff around or readjusting our season to accommodate, you know, um, there being uh, less actors involved so that way we're, we're protecting them, moving certain shows around to make sure we're protecting more at risk populations. I mean, honestly, we have been, I feel like in a constant state of pivot since March. Yeah. And even with the last three months of me being here, I have seen us take significant strides in many directions just to make sure that we can keep doing this thing that we love. Without innovation, it's not just our theater. Absolutely no theaters will thrive. If right. you're not willing to take on the challenges of what is happening right now and understand that, yes, as of right now, we are theater makers and art makers and we are going into uncharted territory with it being on Zoom or OBS or whatever type of plat streaming platform that you are adapting to. But the one thing about theater is theater has always been resilient, 
always. Absolutely. And if we could survive the bubonic plague, we could survive the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like for those theaters that are willing to take on the challenge of this new digital medium, we will be the ones that are successful. So how we've done that immediately by launching a podcast and creating that, if you look even from the growth is is crazy from watching earlier videos of when we first instituted hang and focus back in March and then what it looks like today it doesn't even look like the same program and I am excited that I got to use one of my degrees (laughs) um, because my 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 undergrad is in broadcast journalism and so now being the executive producer of that initiative I am able to like this is how we streamline this. So this is, you know, if we're likening it, likening it to what it looks like in the broadcast realm, you know, this is your position if we were in that realm, or this is what your beat looks like, you know? So I'm able to yeah. use some of that knowledge that I procured in my earlier, you know, educational career um, to be able to help us innovate, even with the three months that I've been there. And I honestly feel we're only growing from here. We're finding new tricks and um, as Zoom is a Evolving also to accommodate all the needs of the people that are using that platform, we are able to do more and more. Um, Something else that we've been doing, which I'm so proud of, is our digital series. Now, with our digital series, we've had the ability to, number one, put a lot of stories, again, on the, you know, I'll use air quotes, though you can't see me, on a stage that often wouldn't get a chance, especially with our demographic here, both in Tucson and Phoenix. Um, We Again, we got to normalize seeing, you know, people of of multiple ethnicities on stage. And so with our digital season, we've been able to do some excellent work uh, by providing very diverse programming. I mean, in fact, I believe our digital season has about 60% of our titles are either black authors and or uh, by podcasts and creatives, which is fantastic. Yes. And so, and of course, being Lord Theater, our, we have a, a far reach. So not just to reach within our community, but nationwide. So we have had some incredible directors and incredible playwrights that have been able to play with us, like uh, Tamila Woodard was one of our directors. Um, uh, Brian Kahada is doing um, a new musical concept that he's kind of doing his first workshop with us called Somewhere Over the Border. Um, so th- those are some of the things that we haven't even released to you yet that I cannot wait uh, for our our patrons to be able to get a chance to see. But we're mm-hmm. also spanning genres. We have everything for every type of audience. Um, you know, we did Alma by Benjamin Ben, who is a, a Yale a student at the at Yale, um, who wrote this beautiful story on immigration and cast it with two Afro Latina. Um, actresses to kind of talk about that perspective as well. And so I've been just really excited about the work that we are doing. Uh, We got some really exciting shows coming up for our subscribers um, that I don't even know if I can announce yet, but some pretty big names are hearing about the things that we're doing and wanting to be involved. And so Mm -hmm. we're just, yeah, so like that's the pivot, right? The pivot Mm -hmm. is do work that reflects the community, um, do work that inspires people that provides multiple perspectives um, and then you know pay attention to 
how people are responding to our work and the people that want to be involved. Like, I promise you, I'm getting emails daily like, hey, I want to be involved in that. If you think I might be a good fit. (laughs) Different actors that have worked with us in the past that, you know, sees the work that we're doing and the pride that we have while producing it. So we just released The Realness by Idris Goodwin, who is a fantastic playwright slash um, poet. And his piece is more of a hip hop centric piece. And the feedback, but it's a love story. And the feedback that we're getting from this story has been wonderful. Because sometimes I think audiences may say, like you said earlier, "Mm, that's not me. I don't understand hip hop culture, or I don't understand black stories or whatever Mm -hmm. the hang up may be. Well, I'm not familiar with it. I I think it's more the thing, you know, it's new for will I will this resonate with me? Will I understand it? Is it? Is it going to be a challenge to my my, my emotional and, and intellectual status quo? Right. And well, and this story in particular. So the realness is a story that we all can get behind because we've all yeah. been there. It's about falling in love, really, at the base root of it. And when you see someone doing something that you admire how that can cause you to fall in love with them and in the art firm. So the story is about a young man who uh, is from the suburbs, who is journeying down into the city, and he is obsessed with learning more about hip-hop culture. And he sees this female MC get on stage, and he's enamored by her. And then he creates, completely fabricates this fake story about creating his own um, rap magazine to get close to her. And so it's, you know, your standard, huh. like, uh, rom-com, you know, hijinks of yeah, it's yeah. caught up in his lie. He's found out, you know, and how does it resolute? Um, but at the end of the day, if you've ever been in love, and if, if that resonates with you, being in young love and, mm. and and what that looks like and what you were willing to do to, or sacrifice in order to receive it, you know, that is something that sits with all of us. It's an incredible, yeah. incredibly charming story. It just happens to be backed by hip hop beat. That sounds cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's the last, last day for it. So make sure you check it out tonight. Cool. I mean, just from what you're telling me about the script and you know, my own experiences, it sounded immensely cringeworthy as well. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's keep talking about the, the way things are changing. The tech. Because right now the tech is the key, I think, to survival. And feel free to argue me on that one. And theater has always been about, you know, how can we make this a little bit better? How can we up the, you know, we we redo the lights. We, we get different, you know, bits of tech for sound and this thing and the other thing. How much of your effort is going to be spent developing the tech or researching the tech, not just to produce, but to keep the essential traditional theater experience? You know, um, that is a beautiful question because that is one that we have been in all of our pivots, right, that we've been trying to answer. And I think for us, it requires first understanding that nothing takes away the actual live theater experience. Let's just be honest. And I don't want theaters to think that, and not just for Arizona Theater Company, I just mean in general, Mm -hmm. the, the video medium Zoom does not replace the energy 
that you feel when you're sitting in a theater live and experiencing something, an exchange that happens with the actors when they're on stage, sitting next to other people, breathing the same breath. Right. Nothing will change that, which is why theater is so special in comparison to film. But right now, one thing that we are learning and we are finding out is that because of the power of theater and our ability to transcend, we are still being able to make those connections, even if it's in the middle of a, you know, 17.9 ratio frame. Yeah. So with that, though, we have to understand there are certain things so that we want to still keep sacred, right? And so with the digital reading series, that's exactly what it is. It is a reading series. But once we start going into this new medium, because who knows, and I'm just going to be honest, if anyone's going to feel extremely comfortable with coming back and sitting in a theater once vaccines are released, we right. do forecast that there's going to be some time it's going to take for people to readjust to coming back into the theater. And we're prepared for that. So how we are preparing for that is, number one, making sure we are in alignment with all equity standards for how we protect our patrons and how we protect our staff and our performers, number one. But the actual experience, though, making sure that if we are producing in-house, even at 25% capacity, even with all COVID protocols in place, that we are still allowing ourselves to also capture whatever we perform to provide to those people that would like to experience theater from the comfort of their own home. I think that's important. I'm a high risk. I'm a cancer survivor and an extreme asthmatic. So for me, even, uh, it is something that I hold very close to my heart, understanding that we must take this pandemic very seriously, but then also give honor to the people that are going to take a little bit more time. I think Hamilton, with the release on Disney Plus of the show, was proof that although it's again, far more charismatic to be in the theater, right? Mm -hmm. With them performing it live. And it's a very different experience for Hamilton. Heck, even for my tribute band, it's a very different experience when you're in the room. But there was something that was still captured with the production of the Hamilton release that they did on Disney Plus, which proves that theater has the power to maneuver through any medium. So we want to provide that. So in innovating with what's going on right now with COVID, it's still having the show experience. So you'll still have your quick changes in the wings. <laughs> you'll still have mm -hmm. the, the actress and musicians and, and all the things that make live theater beautiful, be it musical or a play. But then we're also going to provide the, the opportunity for that to be captured so people can, that need to, can view it from their home. And that's right. something that wasn't available before at all. And often I know. I, it opens yes, up so many possibilities. So many possibilities. Like instead of looking at it as a challenge, I look at it as a, as a plus. 
Yes. I think it's real easy for us to get stuck in COVID land and think, oh my gosh, 2020 and everything that's going on and think of being bogged down. But I'm like, no, this is actually affording us a lot of opportunities, mm -hmm. even it for is. our institution restructuring and making sure that, you know, we are getting all of our ducks in a row and in alignment to, for the, you know, the fiscal um, sustainability of our theater as well. I mean, COVID has allowed us a moment to stop. And not yeah. producing, we were able to really take a hard look internally and then be able to make the changes that allows us to be sustainable for a long time. We might not have had that opportunity had we exactly. not been stopped at this moment. Yeah. I mean, think about all the people who couldn't make it to the theater originally. You know, they're, they're homebound, they're they're ill, they you know, the, the theater doesn't have the facilities to, you know, to accommodate their, Come their on, physical we have a working mom who has several children at home yeah. who, who would love to watch a show but can't find a babysitter. This exactly. now expands so many opportunities. There's, I think there's more opportunity here than we're, we've been primed to look at. Well, and also let's talk about reach. So before we were reaching, you know, our surrounding communities via Tucson and in Phoenix, and then some people that would travel in, of course, you have, because Phoenix, of course, is such a tourist location, you know, you have lots of people that come to the theater, you know, one time here or there from out of state or whatnot, or in neighboring states like California or um, Las Vegas, right, or Nevada. But now with this medium, we can literally sell tickets to anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yes, you can. It's a, an amazing opportunity to be Absolutely. able to take what you're doing on your stage and not just keep it for the people in the seats immediately in the area, but A, ship it anywhere and B, reship it again a year later if you need to. Well, exactly. And listen, we, again, we wholeheartedly want to produce in our theater. In fact, we were trying to gear up for um, our first offering of the year, which was going to go up in January, but due to the cases and COVID that are rising astronomically in our state. Right. Um, and remember, we also operate out of two counties. So we have to not only follow all COVID protocols for equity um, association, but we're also following all the protocols for uh, Maricopa County and Pima County. So in order to do that, then like we, that's why like a lot of times Sean, you know, says we're going to be the safest theater to go to, uh, you know, once we pass all these protocols. And it's really because, you know, being a part of LORT, we have so many um I don't want to say hoops because that sounds negative, but there's so mm -hmm. many things challenges. on the check, yeah, challenges or things on the checklist that we must check off before yeah. we can produce. And so once we finally get there, oh my gosh, it's going to be an extremely safe experience. Yeah. But even then, you know, some people may want to watch from home, and I'm glad that we can provide that to them. Yeah, that's, that's, I think it's a, an expansion of your abilities. Your, of your possibilities. Theater will grow because of this. Exactly. Yeah. Chanel Bragg, this has been unbelievably wonderful talking to you. And nobody out in there in, in podcast land is going to understand what it took for us to actually make this happen. <laughs> this has taken months, people, months. It has taken months, but you know what, though? I am grateful for this opportunity to connect with you now because I have so much more knowledge under my belt than I would have. Like, I, I believe if we had this conversation back then, I just would have been like, I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> 
because you know I do not take being you know uh, the first black woman, especially uh, in our theater's history, right, uh, to be appointed to a position such as this in senior management. And so it, I'm sure majority of the conversation would have been steered around that. But I'm right. glad that now I can genuinely talk, you know, from an art maker perspective of what our hopes are, and hopefully inspire a little excitement and you know your viewers um and podcast listeners to be able to say you know what theater is not dead i get so so like i scared when people say that because i'm like but but then it's not i'm like we are proof like even just in our little square realm of the world we are proof that you know if you are willing to fight for it it doesn't stop we have been producing nonstop. it just looks different now We've been producing nonstop since Euripides, Aristophanes. It's not going <laughs> to die. You know? Right, right. So, exactly. Yeah, if, if you're going to say theater is dead, shut up, go away. Yes. <laughs> My sentiment, exactly. Oh, so tell tell our listeners how they can find out more about you. Do you have a website? How come it's because you're an interesting person? People are going to want to know more about you. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. Um, please, please go visit us at arizonatheater.org. So www.arizonatheater, theater spelled with an R-E, uh, .org. Um, if you go to our website there, you'll be able to find out all the wonderful things that we're doing, including our latest digital uh, offerings, as well as some of our campaigns that we have. My development officer would be so upset if I did not make sure <laughs> I plug how to take care of our organization. Right now, we have a Bring Us Back to Live campaign, and the, the hope is to bring us back to live theater. Um, of course, when it is safe for us to do that. And so right now, for every donation that we get, it is going to be doubled in impact, which is fantastic. So no um, donation is too small. I need people to feel absolutely comfortable um, with giving us whatever they feel that they can. And we all obviously do not want anyone to stress themselves beyond their means. You know, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you got $5 and guess what? We get 10 You got 25 then someone's matching us and now we have 50 And it really is the difference of allowing people um, the opportunity for us to survive and and we won't we won't survive without it so we are grateful to all the contributed income that we have received um so far um and for anyone that is interested you know we are we're hoping so please feel free if you'd like to donate to us it's nice and easy you can go to our website or you can text um, i believe our donate number is um you can text atc to 56512 sounds good thank you so very very much you have been an absolute delight to speak with and <laughs> thank you i i wish you all the best of luck please stay safe please stay healthy and please Continue to do the outstanding work you've already been doing. Thank you, sir. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage Off Stage. On Stage Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at On Offstage. 
And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet, or know someone in the theater who would make really good chat, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening, and please, kids, stay safe. Be careful for yourself and for those with whom we share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.